Our scripture today comes from James 1, 1 through 12. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joys, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, as we continue our sermon series... Through the book of James, I don't know if I mentioned that James, this James, is most likely the brother of Jesus. As in Joseph was his daddy and Mary was his mom. And did you know that from all accounts, when his divine brother Jesus was here and on earth, James was among the doubters? You know, it's hard to blame James. I I would be literally inclined to keep a brother down. If we're my brother down. Because if he were my brother, right, he would be likely with his dogged assurance of being the earthly born Lord God of everything and everyone, likely to get himself mistreated, scorned, ridiculed, and crucified. Mistreated, scorned, ridiculed, crucified, that is, by the rich, powerful, and threatened, but at the same time, crucified for the demands and the needs of the poor, powerless, mistreated, and needy folks he hung out with. Didn't Jesus know how hard it would be How impossible it would be to be the Lord for the rich and the poor. Guess what, y'all? Good news. Jesus has done the impossible. He has given us a gospel that is for the haves and the have-nots. And everyone in between, which means for you and me, rich and poor, or for most crunched in the middle economically and socially, good news. The gospel is declaring and promises that, you, that what you have or don't have no longer has the power to ultimately define, demean, or deceive you. 
And as much as he might not want to hear this from a pure sibling standpoint, James is, is closely following in his big brother Jesus' footsteps in that he won't leave social and economic injustices and heart issues around them alone. He made social and economic justice in, for believers and in the church a, a matter of faith. And in that, he begs God's grace and power to deal with it in our lives. So here are two points on the subject that we can get from this passage. And I promise you, we will revisit this in the book of James. But from this passage first, Both the haves and the have-nots have faith struggles. And secondly, both need and have a faithful Savior. Both the haves and the have-nots have faith struggles. And secondly, both need and have a faithful Savior. Look with me again at our reading found in verse 9 together. I mean, not together. Let's, Let's look at it. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower, its flower fails and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man. Who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I want us to see these verses in the right, in the right way here. Because it has been assumed that James is saying that the lowly or poor man is the Christian or believer. And the one who truly loves God. While the rich man is a caricature of an unbeliever who does not love God. But in verse 9 when it says boast. That boast word, that word boast is not a prideful boast. It is a praise to God, a, a thank you for what you've done for me. But, but that boast, that verb applies to both the lowly and the rich man, as it does verse 12. That both the lowly and the rich who remain steadfast under trial are God's. Which tells us this. Both being poor or lowly and being rich or successful comes with faith struggles. That is challenges to believing the Lord and his ministry to us. And we saw some of this last week in the, in the first uh, few verses that we, we looked at. It, by struggles, what do we mean? I mean the same stuff that verse 3 promises to produce. Steadfastness. The same stat, steadfastness that you see repeated in verse 12. That kind of steadfastness that eventually gets the crown of life from God for those who love him. Look again with me at verse 2 and 4 that we studied last week. Count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. It sounds nothing. It sounds almost like verse 12. James is saying. 
that both poor and rich, haves and have-nots, due to their condition, right, and place in this world, their social economic condition and place in this world, will face trials, tests, tribulations, challenges, and struggles in their faith because of their social economic situation. And James characterizes the kinds of trials and tests and tribulations of the haves or the have-nots in verse 9. Look with me at verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. The gospel is promising, which it is here, to reverse the curse of sin, then according to verse 9, the struggle of the have-nots is the humiliation of poverty, and for the haves, the vanity of wealth. Look back again at verse 3, and what God promises will come out of life struggles for the believer. It says here, for you know, right? It says you'll face all kind of various trials, so Take joy in that. And it says in verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and then let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Steadfastness. That what? Produces? What? Perfect, complete, and lacking nothing? That's the word of God. And and if you missed it, because we didn't go back to it in verse 5, when James talks about God giving wisdom for those trials and tribulations, it says that God gives his wisdom with generosity, without reproach, freely. All of those so-called promises, right? And faith products are the opposite, of what it means to struggle with poverty or oppression or social lonely, loneliness. Look back again at verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I don't know how many of you are familiar with being poor or oppressed or lonely. But poor and oppressed and lowly people are never settled. Nothing is ever steadfast. There is no legacy, often no legacy of land or lineage that you can look back to that gave you anything or or passed anything on. And let me tell you, it is often impossible when you are disenfranchised like poor and lowly described in this social context are. It is impossible not to be transient. When you are poor or lowly or oppressed. Not only transient in where you live, but transient in your relationships. My wife told me that sometimes growing up as a poor family, because I only remember living in one house. Right? The house my parents owned. I thought that was normal. Right? You lived there, you, you were born there, you, you brought there home from the hospital, you grew up there, you graduated from high school there, you returned there when you don't have no job after college. That's what I thought. <laughs> but she told me that growing up in a poor family as renters who never owned a house whenever the rent was due or was going up, they moved. And so moving and not being settled and moved by the whims and decision of someone who owned the place was the norm, not steadfastness. 
Then in verse 3, perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. I don't even have to say it. it that is pre- this is pretty clear. When you are lowly, right? When you are uh, oppressed, right? Or, or even, let me, let me bring some more of you in. Or in the crunch of being middle class, when you barely middle class or struggling to be middle class, right? When you are the lowly brother, sister, nothing is ever complete or perfect or full, right? You, you are, it's the definition of being lowly. You are always lacking and just when you think you're done with the struggle or seem to be getting out or ahead, you get sucked back in by disaster or financial collapse or some kind of job loss or sickness or someone else's bonehead a decision for my Friday the movie fans starring a young Chris Tucker in Ice Cube y'all remember when Ice Cube's character Craig goes to make Kool-Aid and to his friend Smokies played by Chris Tucker's horror there's a package of Kool-Aid but no sugar Y'all remember the infamous poverty descriptive rant Smokey makes? Y'all ain't got no sugar. Y'all ain't never got two things that go together. (laughs) Kool-Aid, no sugar, peanut butter, no jelly, ham, no burger. That's being poor, right? That's being middle class even sometimes. It ain't no such thing as complete. And it was funny when they ran out of sugar. That was it. Wasn't no, let's go to the store. It just wasn't no Kool-Aid with sugar. Life is not and never complete or full. And sometimes it isn't sugar for Kool-Aid, but something more hard-hitting and profound. You've got dreams and humanity, but no opportunity and fair treatment. You have credible aspirations, but can't get no credit, right? But there's something deeper here, too, with the struggle of being poor. Look how God is described in verse 5. He says, if if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who is what? Who gives generously to all without reproach. That means no kind of contract, no kind of credit check, right? Without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. If you need something, it is saying God will do it without high interest and again without a credit check and without any red tape. That's the way God is. What did the theme song of Good Times say about being in the ghetto? Impoverished and thus exploitable. Says this, not getting hassled, not getting hustled. Keeping your head above water, making a wave when you can. Temporary layoffs, good times. Then it says this, easy credit ripoffs, good times. Ain't we lucky we got them, good times, right? That's what it means to be poor. Not what verse 5 seems to say about God. When you pour, it is all about high interest and a hustle and treading water, check cashing and, and small print and, and owing more than what you borrowed or, or trusting and hoping only to get hustled and used and owing, what you more, owing more than what you did when you started just by asking for help. 
And then also in verse 5, what, what, what God is giving is wisdom. That is making good decisions that lead to steadfastness and stability. And here is the hard one. Look back at verse 2 again. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and then all the rest of the good stuff. The test thing. With, with the wisdom thing is interesting. Because do you find yourself poor or struggling? Especially in ancient times as is now. It is sometimes because you failed the test, right? You made the wrong or bad or poor decisions. That you went with the dead end dude and now you got the bills and his kids. You didn't stay in school or study. Or went after drugs or alcohol or a good time. You made some mistakes and now you can't get another shot. Or someone else's unwise decisions or bad choices failed the test and has created generations of oppression and struggle and poverty and pain that you now don't even have the good enough decision to get out of yourself. So when you look around and, and, and inside, the, the struggle is real because you have to question and wonder about the realness of God or the gospel when completeness and perfection and never lacking and someone answering your needs and prayers on the first time, right? Things working out. It just isn't part of your story. And it makes you wonder whether God in his prayer answering and gospel is no different than the check cashing place in his kingdom is about being stuck on the bottom side of life. Struggle with faith because of the, the way things are. And so the poor and disenfranchised and oppressed are easily attracted to what? Get rich prosperity gospel churches, right? Filled with poor people. I remember one time when I was in St. Louis, you know, being from Charleston, South Carolina, I mean, we, we didn't have no gambling boats and all that because we holy down there. And so when someone said, hey, when I was in seminary there, and they were like, hey, you know, we should go. I'm like, yeah, I've never been to Vegas. So I was expecting, you know, some shows, you know, some singing, you know, some attractions. Because I wasn't gambling. I don't even know how to do the thing, right? They'd get my money quick. It was terrible. I walked in there. Wall to wall would look like poor or struggling people. Easily taken, right? Get rich prosperity gospel churches. Line the ghetto and fill with poor people. And the gospel of feel-good emotionalism gospel churches. And then you have kind of the panhandling, right? Kind of pyramid scheme kind of things. Promising wealth. Or, or you're just going nowhere. Hanging out in the proverbial religious corner. Lying to yourself and each other. Waiting for and possibly in danger of easy pickings of Lord knows what. That is the faith struggle, the have-nots. But take it from the late, great, ghetto, hustler, turn, rich, hip-hop, lyrical, genius, superstar, Christopher Biggie Smalls Wallace. When he said after making millions, more money, more problems. 
And James, though not part of Junior Mafia, agrees with not Biggie. <laughs> but Jesus, in that the have struggle too, but with the vanities of wealth. Look with me at verse 10, if you will. He says, and the rich in his humiliation, he should boast the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fails, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. James is saying that the rich and privileged, yes, even believer, will struggle with vanity. And I want to make it clear that it is not having money that is the problem or being rich what the problem is the unfortunate sinful products of it that this world fertilizes, right? He describes it as what? The flowers and beauty of being rich. But the word for flower is weeds there, as in dandelion, right? It's a fake flower or a faking flower or false beauty. It's a false representation of what's there. It's a lie produced from a real true situation. And what are those lies that the, that the haves struggle with? Look at what the God Gospel offers again in verse 2 through 4. We're going to wear these verses out, ain't we? <laughs> Count it all joy my, joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and, steadfastness, uh, ha- and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Do you see it? When you have the savings, when you have the legacy, when you're enough of the perfect, complete, lacking nothing, when you have enough of the complete, lacking nothing life. Now, James is not talking about wants like you would move from, you want to move from a 25-foot boat to a 40. No, this is, this is having everything you need. He's talking about what it takes to live without dying or have, being exploited. Why do you then, if you have it all, why do you need God so much? And if you have just enough success or having, it will and can make you think and believe that it's because you've made the right decisions. You made the grades. You worked hard, right? I mean, you are the poster child of the American dream. You were the good one and you made wise money in life decisions. Now tell me why you need this wisdom from God if you already have the wisdom that got you everything you have. And generosity, don't need it. You earned it. It was rewarded. It was a reward for all that you earned in this life. See, when you're rich and successful, right? And that can mean different things. It can mean bank account. It may mean how much higher you've risen upon most people who are like you or whatever, right? You're the golden child of your family. You are different and you made it out, right? God can easily simply become the underwriter of your success and church and prayer and devotion simply a time where you meet with one of your top investors or business partners. It only takes a little bit of beauty, 
A little bit of success in your finances or ethnicity or gender or looks or body. And guess what happens? The tendency to oppress and despise and overlook those considered lower than you creeps in. And there is the struggle not to make it about, you know, if, if they could only be like me and, and be wise like me. And even the patronizing if they could just follow my wise steps. And let me tell you what the struggle is. You start to believe your own press. Nobody can tell you nothing. Yeah, that was a double negative. Nothing. Because you know you're successful. What you need my advice for? Heck, what you need God's advice for? This is the struggle. And you, you, you know, you think, no, that's not me. It happens when success happens in this world. Let me tell you, just like you have a lawn, if you got a lawn, what's going to pop up? Weeds, right? You got a nice lawn, what's next? It's a nice fertile, ooh, fertile ground. Weeds like fertile ground too. So you got this manicured life. What God is promising, the dandelions of vanity of thinking you know better than everybody else. You know, it, it, it's funny to me. We start to sound a lot like the person who is wisdom giving in verse five. God. And then there is a constant struggle for wealthier believers of whether they're giving enough or being loving enough or whether they're being ostentatious, right, or gaudy. And there is this never getting ahead for some of you of this guilt because truly much of the money and power anyone has and are then able to keep is based not only on hard work. Let me wake you up, especially in this country, especially when you look at the philosophies and paradigms of whatever company you work for. Right at the bottom of it, somewhere along the line, up ahead or even up ahead through some, there is some injustice, right? Some oppression of someone somewhere of some greed and overpriced situation or self-righteousness somewhere. Because though you have enough degrees of separation to make you feel fine going to work, no money that makes money that promises to make you steadfast and secure is clean money and keeps you clean and knowing that it's hard to deal with when you're a believer who is easily attacked and easy for others who only see what you have on the outside to attack you with jealousy and anger and hatred and misunderstanding and judgment No wonder James, big brother and Lord Jesus said that it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Because all that stuff just weighs your faith down. But remember, this is good news, not bad news, right? For the haves and the have-nots. Look at verse 2 and then look at verse 9 through 12. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast unto trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. 
God is promising something in the struggles of the haves and have nots worth shouting and rejoicing and getting a crown and being blessed and praising God and telling others about. And for the have nots, the poor, the lowly, he promises what? In verse 9, exaltation through the work of the gospel. And then in verse 12, when it talks about the crown of life, it is saying that even the poor, right? Even the lowly. And let me describe in in, in terms what we're talking about. Even the least deserving or honorably treated, maybe for good reason, will become steadfast and receive the crown of life because of what? The relationship God chooses to have with them. My friend Lance Lewis, African-American PCA pastor of a church out in Northern California, said to me once, we were having this debate when reparation checks was a hot debate. Reparation checks, yeah. Money given to descendants of slaves who gave their free labor for a long time. He said to me once, man, reparation checks would benefit the rich and actually hurt the poor. Because if you were to flood the impoverished world with cash, it would leave its poverty, it would not leave, rather, its poverty-creating, intrinsically oppressive systems in relationships, right? The reparation checks would still get no further for many, if not most, the corner store or the bookie. Or the car dealership, as a, the new car dealership that just started up when the reparation checks came out. The car dealership as a down payment to some small print contractual deal. Or the check cashing place, or the shady insurance guy, or I need a Cadillac car payment. God will bless you. Let's get a bigger building pastor, right? Why? Because the right relationships and networks that would bring wise decisions and wealth-building opportunities are so prejudiced against, right? So cut off from the poor, right? So looking to actually exploit the poor that they would not go to the poor to give them and connect them with the wisdom and investment and end that would benefit them. The lowly are so cut off in this world from the people and relationships that would truly lift them that they can't make good on their own humanity on their own. Do you know what the gospel is promising? That you are exalted. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he earned a reparation check by grace to pay for all the suffering and oppression and pain that the lowly experience. But that is not all. But that for those who are his, he has set up the right relationships with his heavenly father so that he can make good for you on that reparation and redemption of your you and your life that this world and your world refuses and is powerless to do. And let me tell you what that means and has to mean. Even if you didn't pass the test, 
Even if you made bad decisions and still don't know what to do, even if the world, your history, and family lineage is against you, the one who has the power to transform this world and promises to turn it upside down is honestly and lovingly, get this, not only giving and offering your life change, offering you life-changing wisdom so you can make better decisions for yourself, but he is promising that it is his good and loving decisions above all the bad decisions by your family and this country and racists and exploiters and that ultimately decide your future. Why? Because God gives wisdom not just to you, but for you. Generously, without filling out forms or background checks or potential future failures by you to all who ask him without doubting. That means those who have come to believe in Jesus the Christian. And so it is God's wisdom that God guards your life. That's why what shouldn't add up to steadfastness and perfection and completeness and lacking nothing for the have-nots and the impoverished and the oppressed miraculously will. Because Jesus overpowers and he cancels and has overpowered and canceled all in this world that would or could say you are going nowhere, right? That you are a nothing because you are a woman or black or Hispanic or adopted or forgotten or pregnant or in that wrong circumstance, overdrafted, deeply in debt, bad credit, and didn't get enough education. None of that can hold back God's perfect, complete, and lacking nothing work in your heart and life. And one day, verse 12 is promising that the whole world will praise Jesus for saving a world of losers and people who had a work record of losing according to the world standards, but who believe in Jesus and who will stand one day in the winner's circle with their Lord wearing the crown of life that says they were beaten and down and discouraged, but that God, because of Jesus, they overcame the world. And it is for you. Is verse 2 and then verse 9 emphasizes to boast, to rejoice about it, to talk about it, to tell yourself over and over and to pray for and about in whatever situation. Because in your low estate and struggle and oppression, God and Jesus has won you and overcomes the world. But the rich have not been left out of the party, Right? Look at verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower fails, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. This is a different kind of road to blessing, (laughs) but just as good for for, for the haves and their Faith struggles. Remember that the flower and the beauty, the glory, the high feeling, the okay feeling, that I'm not bad, that, that back to the terms of verse 2, that somehow because of your success and wealth and whatever makes and has made you believe you are steadfast, perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Good news is that God is going to expose it. 
for what it is and strip it down. God's going to embarrass vanity for being a fake. He's going to pull her wig off and weave out. It's not truly making you beautiful, right? It's not truly able to make you okay. But how and why is the stripping what in this room makes you feel good and secure in what you have worked so hard for and like to brag about and get you into certain circles or or, or what you've worked hard to keep and having made the right decisions about to get or keep? Why is humiliation for the haves a blessing from God? Look down at verse 12. Blesses the man who remains steadfast under trial, for he has stood the test. He will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Do you know what picture the words blessing and crown of life, and then back in verse 5, generously, without earning it, given wisdom, give us? What kind of picture of God God it gives us? One of love, of a loving father. Or parent. You know what leads to greed, overworking prejudice, the rat race, the fear of losing it or being judged for having this paralyzing belief that you are only accepted and loved and alive and given because of your performance, because of your beauty, because of your competency and usefulness, because of your competitive edge, because you must do it and get it right, because God will look at your stuff and bank account and savings and say, good job, son or daughter. What if you knew? And live like God just looks at you apart from all of your winnings and victories and holdings and earnings and hard work and just loved you. Just delighted in you. That's what the gospel says and that is what James is saying. That God still loves the rich and greedy and workaholic and proud who believe and love him as Lord and Savior. And who has received Jesus as his son free of charge by faith, by grace. And that he will like a good dad according to verse 5 still wisely guide them and be their designated driver and carrier through life. When having makes them drunk in love with this world he will still love them and lead and even carrying them to blessing and the crown of life. When when James says that the rich man will fade away in his pursuit, James is saying that the rich man needs to know or woman needs to know that they will die in their pursuit of money. (laughs) Why is that good news? That the end of each business and busy day, making and keeping and flaunting and feeling good about their position in this world or whatever it is, that they will die. Why is that blessing? Why is being reminded of that day by the gospel a blessing? Because the crown of life is only put on the head of the naked. What you talking about, Pastor Brown? That came out of left field. You know when you were loved the most, but least likely to remember? When you were a baby, right? When you didn't know whether you were white, black, upper class, rich, or poor. You didn't know that bassinet was really the top drawer of the dresser. 
You just knew mama and daddy loves you in the gracious milk and sleep, whether mama's lap in a soup kitchen line or the stroller in Nordstrom's, that rest, you rested all the same. You know why God wants the rich believer, his rich children to know and remember that like Job, naked they came in and naked they'll go out. So they can know that when they were born again, God loved them and still sees and loves them like a naked, adored, newborn baby who has nothing. That if you came here naked and you were born again, you will go out with nothing, but you will have the love of God for you and me that never changed while you were living in the in-between. God sees you like a naked baby at the very least, but also as one clothed only in the righteousness of Jesus in your blessed state. And that is the only thing that makes the difference. God, through the trials and tribulations and struggles of the haves and the have-nots. He strips the tattered clothing and the weight of poverty. And he equally strips the, the ostentatious outer vanity of the rich. With a fatherly love for his naked and bare before him children, promises to bless them. And clothe them with righteousness. You see, you and I are steadfast though having and having not will seek, even though having and having not will seek to shake our faith because God is steadfast in how he redeems and sees us as his people. And we are now free to love him as haves and have nots because he first and always loves us is the God of the haves and the have-nots.